I'm walking all alone down my yellow brick road and I stomp to the beat of my own drum. I got my pockets full of dreams and they're busting at the seams going. Welcome to Stacked Keys Podcast. I'm your host, Amy Stackhouse. This is a podcast to feature women who are impressive in the work world or in raising a family or who have hobbies that make us all feel encouraged. Want to hear what makes these women passionate to get up in the morning or what maybe they wish they'd known a little bit earlier in their lives? Grab your keys and stomp to your own drum. excited about the guest on today's show. It's Erin Akat, and I am thrilled. She has got um, so much that I, I just can't wait for you to get to meet her. Um, I know that a lot of my listeners probably know Erin and have had uh, different times when they've gone to Erin and where she lives and works, and so I know this will pique the interest of many, but welcome, Erin. Thank you. I'm so excited to be here. Thank you. Well, I'm glad to have you. So if somebody were to ask Erin today, who are you? Um, what do you do? And, and how would you describe yourself professionally or personally to somebody today? Well, um, I usually start with I'm a missionary, uh, which brings in where I live. And I go to I'm a mom, which brings in my two kids. And um, I, I think my family is just a big part of who I am. So I would go with sister and daughter somewhere in there as well. I'm just very connected to my family as well, despite the distance. Well, that is a great distance between you mm-hmm. and your extended family. So mm-hmm. tell us where you live and how did you end up where you are? <laughs> so I live in Lima, Peru, and I've lived here for over 12 years now. And uh, I ended up here, um, I guess the short version is I married a Peruvian. Um, the longer version is I came here on a mission trip myself um, in 2003. So when I was a junior in college, and uh, I fell in love with Peru. I mean, the people first, um, no one specific at that point, but um, just fell in love with the people here and, and to continued coming back um, summers and springs at first, and then um, ended up meeting my husband and um, married him a couple of years later, and then have been living here ever since. What was the pull to Peru? Why Peru? Initially, um, I think it was just a God thing that it happened to be Peru. I mean, I, when I was a sophomore in college, there had a mission trip that a bunch of my friends had gone on and I couldn't go because I was um, playing a sport in college and wasn't able to go at that point. But then junior year, some friends and I who were no longer playing sports that year decided no matter what happens, we're going on the spring break trip this year, wherever that ends up being. 
And so that ended up being to Peru that year. And there was a connection between someone working at our church in California and um, my husband, they're actually um, cousins, distant cousins. But um, that was sort of the original connection that got us to come to Peru. And then, like I said, once I came here for the first time, I was hooked. I mean, I, I knew after that first week, and I can tell you a little bit more about that story, but I, I knew after that first week that I would be spending a lot more time here. Okay, so you, um, being an athlete is tough. And I heard you say, you know, because of sports, you couldn't go and mm -hmm. then you weren't. So there, there probably were a lot of sacrifices uh, being an athlete, um, but can you kind of look at the two things that you might've gotten out of, of being an athlete, um, the things that you may have lost, but then the things that you may have gained? Mm -hmm. Well, definitely. I mean, I, I actually, played a club sport in college it was not a, a varsity competing sport um but I played ultimate frisbee for that year and had an awesome time and loved it and just the team building aspect and the community around it was amazing and I still keep in touch with a lot of um, the girls from that team um, one of them was actually down here in Peru not too long ago visiting so it was really fun to reconnect with her but um I mean just being on the team and working so hard at a common goal together was a really fulfilling thing. We actually ended up getting second in the country the year that I played. Um, it was just a huge thing. We worked really hard. Um, we did sacrifice a lot of time, a lot of early mornings before class, um, you know, practice and such. But the community that we built through that was just amazing and incredible. And we got to travel some for that, which was really cool as well. Um, we actually spent our spring break that year in Hawaii competing in a tournament, um, which was amazing. I mean, ultimate frisbee is a really cool sport to play anywhere, but when you're playing, you know, on the Hawaiian islands with the mountains in the back and the ocean, and I mean, it was, it was incredible. It was a really, really fun time. So I'm just, I'm thankful for that experience that I had and um, just those friendships that are, are still, um, yeah, it's just still going on. Yeah. So do you see some of the, the aspects of sports and the dedication that it takes um, coming into play in what you do now? Uh, I think in terms of teamwork, when we have mission teams, um, for sure, there's that aspect of team building and, and the more time that you spend with um, with the teams, the more those relationships into play. And I think the more time you spend working together with someone, the, the better bonds you create and the better relationships that you have. And, and I think when you are able to be friends with the people that you're working with, um, you're able to do so much more and it's, it's able to be so much more impactful to others too. So I've, I mean, with our mission trips over the years, I've just been so grateful for the community of translators that we have as well, um, working with us. That's a huge part of our ministry and, um, we kind of describe it a little bit like an onion. They talk about that in, I think, as well, right, with layers. Um, depending on how big the mission teams are, the, the more translators we're able to pull in. Um, and so, you know, there's some translators that we have on almost all of our teams and some that we have on, you know, once a year, sort of a reunion with the, the there's one big team we have every year that we get a bunch of translators in. But yeah, those, those bonds for sure, um, working towards a common goal, you know, putting in the hours, 
um, getting up early, staying up late, whatever needs to be done, you do it. Um, those, those things for sure, just building community and teamwork among that, that our staff and our team is, is really important. And it is sort of like a sports team in some sense. So you ended up um, serving as a student and then uh, answering the call to um, full-time missions or did missions just come along with the marriage package? It was sort of a process. So um, like I mentioned, I went on a mission trip when I was a junior um, and I went with a couple friends of mine, one being a roommate who ended up coming back with me several times to Peru. So um, we went on that first team, you know, just with the expectation of we're going for a week, we're going to serve, we're going to get to know this community. And we went to Pucalpa, which is um, our ministry partner that we still have now in the jungle. Um, it's a ministry called the Refuge of Hope. And it is a ministry for youth and children and young adults with disabilities. And it's just this amazing place. I mean, it is a little piece of heaven here on earth. And it, I mean, everyone who goes there experiences that. And um, after that first week, I knew um, we were just, we were going to go back there. And um, sort of the way it happened, I can tell you a little bit more. The, um, at this, when we started the trip that week, my roommate Julie and I had sort of talked about, you know, let's do something this summer. Let's get a grant from our university. Let's go somewhere and travel and let's do something kind of different. Um, and sort of her hopes at that point were somewhere Spanish speaking, and then she wanted to work with kids. So that was kind of all we had. And at that point, she was, um, she was thinking researching childhood obesity in Spain is where she was going with that. But at the end of this week of missions, we had been um, on a little boat down the little Amazon tributary, and um, we'd come back from this big day trip ministering in this village, and um, we had kind of some time to debrief and reflect on the back. So I'm sitting in this little jungle boat, and I'm writing and praying, and I think this was one of the times in my life when I heard God's voice so clearly, and he just said to me, you're coming back here. So I kind of said, okay, what do you want me to do here? And he said, well, you know, the refuge doesn't have any way of sharing what they're doing with others. So you're going to do that and make a documentary. And at this point, my experience was making goofy music videos with my roommates in our dorm room type of thing. <laughs> um, and so I said, well, okay, I'm not sure I know how to do that. He said, don't worry, I'll take care of it. And I, I you know, heard this voice just reassuring and saying, this is what you're doing. And so at the end of that boat ride, I said, hey, Julie, we're not going to Spain. <laughs> she said, what? I said, we're coming back here. We're going to apply for a grant and we're going to come here. And we're going to make a documentary. And so she said, well, okay, if that's what you feel like God's telling you to do, that's what we'll do. And, you know, we got back to our campus and um, started applying for grants. Um, we were able to get a grant from Latin American Studies program. And then um, there were sort of all of these other blanks that I said, okay, God, well, we don't have a camera. I mean, this is back when camera phones were not a thing. Right. And, and you needed a, a decent camera to be able to make something like this. And that was a lot of money. And we were college students. So you know, so I said, we need a decent camera. We need a, a nice computer that has the editing software. And the editing software is also really expensive. I don't have any of that, um, let alone know how to use the, you know, more complicated editing software at this point. And so 
basically people just started coming out of the woodwork and fulfilling all those things that we said, but God, well, what about this? You know, we had a friend from our church group say, hey, you know, I, I just started the student group and we just bought these $3,000 cameras with editing equipment and um, computers. You could take them to the jungle and then just bring them back and we'll use them when you get back. <laughs> so we bought all the equipment and gave it to us to the jungle. Wow. And, you know, just it was just one thing after the other of God fulfilling and, and saying, yep, I told you to go here. So I'm going to take care of the details and I will send you. And um, so that's, that, that was our second trip back. So we, you know, was the first, we ended up going back for a month, the first year in June, uh, June, July time, and then filmed, edited, and um, produced a documentary about this ministry, Refuge of Hope. Um, so they had something to share with others. And then we came to this, it was another one that was, okay, what do you want me to do with this? You know, where do we take it from here? And someone, um, a contact through my dad actually approached us and said, hey, we heard you were doing this. We'd like to take it from here and we'll, you know, help the ministry get funds, you know, if people want to help them out. So it was really just one of those experiences where, you know, I said, okay, God, what do you want me to do? And he just followed through with every piece. And so that's sort of the second chapter, I would say. And then after that, um, the following year, my roommate and I returned for a spring trip again to the same place. And then sort of starting there is where I really started to become friends with my husband. Um, and we kept in touch long term, distance. And then um, we started dating a later. And then um, I kind of started coming back and forth just spring breaks and summers to help out with the ministry. So at that point I was kind of helping out with an ongoing ministry that was already happening, but I was not a full-term ministry, a full-term mission yet. I was still a student and then just spent my time off down in Peru helping. And then when we got married is when I moved down, um, to Peru two months after we got married, actually. Wow. Um, yeah. That so, was an adjustment. Yes. So when, you know, when we were talking about getting married, we basically had um, very few options for dates because I have a lot of siblings and they all had different schedules at that point with school and everything. And so there were kind of two options for when they could all come down to Peru. And one of them was like a, maybe one of my sisters won't be able to be there. <laughs> so we went with the other one and that happened to be in March and I was teaching high school in California at the time. And so our school year went through June. And so I, you know, we got married in March. We went on a honeymoon and then I flew back to California for two months, finished up school and then I moved down to Peru. Wow. So, yeah, it's, you know, it seemed like, oh, I don't know if I can do that at the time. But really in, in hindsight, it was not a huge deal. You know, you have yeah. the rest of your life just spent together. So the two months, we'd done long distance for so long anyway, it wasn't a huge deal. Right. Well, that leads me to a couple of questions on um, long distance. I mean, that's just tough. Most people say, oh, long distance, don't even bother, don't even go there. But you did. And then you also did that. I mean, long distance across country is one thing. And then into another country, that's a whole mm -hmm. other set. So did your mother go, oh, Aaron, what are you doing? <laughs> yes. Um, 
Yeah, at first my, my, my parents were both a little hesitant. My dad actually came down and met Pepe when we sort of first started dating. He came down and joined us for a mission trip. And so he was kind of coming down to check him out and, you know, see what this was all about. Uh, of course, Pepe passed with high, flying colors. Oh, I'm sure. Um, <laughs> but um, yeah, at first, at first, you know, they were a little hesitant, but I think with changing technology too over time, it's become so different. I mean, when I, when I first started coming down here, our only communication with home was internet cafes. You'd have to go out somewhere and pay money at an internet cafe and, and you would communicate that way mostly through email. And then, you know, if I was lucky, I would find a payphone there. You could put some coins in and I could talk for five minutes to my parents and, you know, every two weeks or something. So that was kind of how we started. And then when Pepe and I started dating, there was no, there, definitely no video, anything at that point. Um, phone calls were a little tricky and very expensive. Skype had sort of just started. And so, but only voice. So we kind of did a mix of, you know, phone cards and Skype if we could, if there was signal enough. And he actually, to this day at his mom's house, still has this bulging Ziploc bag of old phone cards that he saved from when we were dating. Um, I, think, I think just to give us a good laugh down the road. Yeah. Um, but I think technology has changed so much that, that long relationships are, are still hard. I'm not saying they're not, but they are so different than they were when we started um and i think i'm just so thankful every day that we have this i mean we i can't remember if it was before we got married um voice over internet phones sort of you know started appearing and when we got married we got an office phone that was voice over internet with a u.s phone number and everything and so called my mom and said, you know, you can call us on this. It's just like calling any of the other siblings. And I think she started crying because she was so happy that it was, you know, something that was connected in the same way yeah. as you know, it wasn't so much of a big deal anymore. And now with FaceTime and, and everything like that, we talk to her all the time. But um, it really is just a blessing that we can <laughs> communicate the way that we can nowadays and see the grandkids and, you know, she gets to see my kids all the time so that's been really nice yeah that makes a huge difference um mm -hmm. I have a sister that was in um Chile years ago I mean like in the 80s um mm -hmm. and we would do this radio over um wow. you know the and you'd have you'd have a a guy who was managing the radio so he was a part of the conversation really and when you would stop talking, you'd say over and he'd switch it to her. And then when he'd hang, when you'd get ready to hang up, he would say, well, good luck with that. And you would go, oh my gosh, I forgot you were there, you know, but, That's but so yeah, funny. I mean, really different. And we faxed, but the fax was that disappearing ink fax mm -hmm. paper. So, you know, That's you'd funny. have these letters that just kind of disappeared. <laughs> so funny. Yeah. I mean, we really long distance was hard but um you know at that point i think we just did it and we saw each other for spring breaks and summers and that was fun and i think part of it too is my parents had dated long distance through college they were high school sweethearts and then yeah. dated long distance through college and they i mean they wrote letters that was 
what they could do. They could, you know, they had like the weekly phone call for a few minutes. So I think in the back of my head, it was like, well, if they can do that, then I can do this. You can do this. If it's the right person, then, you know. True. But you were also, when, all right, now you've, you're dating, but you also, when you got married, you're going into another culture. So I know that my sister was alone and, and she said that one of the easier things really was that total immersion and you really didn't have you weren't pulled too terribly much because of the the isolation did you did you find this hard did you find it hard to to go into the culture and the the language and and just all of that do you remember that being a difficult process honestly when we got married it probably I think I was already over that hump because I had spent a lot of time here yeah. Uh, I mean, between junior year, so junior year was 2003. Now I'm dating myself for all of your listeners. <laughs> um, <laughs> between junior year of 2003 and then 2008 when we got married, um, I came back and forth basically every year and then spent all summer here. And so by the time I moved, it was almost a relief because I no longer had to live at the suitcase. Yeah. You know, I had somewhere that was mine. I was just living in other people's places. Um, you know, I'd lived with another missionary woman, um, between trips and, um, with one of the translators families and this and that, but it was, it was just a relief to, you know, finally feel like I could settle a little bit more instead of trying to hop back and forth all the time and just flip the switch. Okay. Now I'm home and I'm in this culture and I have to do it this way and okay, flip the switch and I'm back here and I have to do it this way. It was kind of like, a a welcomed okay, now I can settle in and feel like I can be more a part of this now. And yeah. at that point, I felt a lot better about the language too. Um, I think it was probably maybe a year or two after I lived here that I was finally like, okay, I'm fine with this and, and I can do whatever I need to do on my own and, and you know, not feel like I need help all the time. So, yeah. Um, but I think it was good to have that sort of five-year, you know, transition of back and forth Um, And I think the culture shock for better or for worse sort of came in the earlier end of those five years. And it was not when we got married. I mean, there were plenty of other culture shocks when you marry someone else (laughs) from, you know, a family who's different than yours. Um, But I think the culture shock of, you know, Peruvian versus American, I had sort of struggled with and wrestled with a lot in the earlier years of coming back and forth. So that was a good thing. Yeah. What are some of the biggest differences in culture? Yeah. Oh man. Um, I think relationally sort of starting there, I think that's a really big one. Um, families here are, um, very warm and extended and, you know, very welcoming of everyone. Um, and, Part of it is because Peru is such a centralized country that a lot of the, you know, third of the population of the whole country lives in Lima. So everyone has extended family here. And so families gather a lot, you know, the gather with the, both sides and parents and the cousins and the aunts and uncles and all of this, um, which is really, really fun. Um, but from my experience where, you know, you move away from home a lot more often um, and you create family, with your community and your friends and, and your friends' families. Um, it's, it's nice to be welcomed into the community here, but it's also, you feel like it's at some point you're welcomed into a certain point 
and then you you almost feel this like okay but you're not all the way family yet and so i think for me it's been a process of finding who i feel like is my sort of family and my clan here um and you know it ends up being a community of of different folks and um i can touch a little bit of, of that later too but um let's see there especially in the light of COVID-19 there a lot of things about personal space that are very different here and part of that is just big city life I mean big city life is more crowded than suburban or, or rural in the states but um, there's also just people are used to being closer together and they don't necessarily um, see being close together as a violation of personal space at all so like you know the line at the ATM it's just how much closer together and you know sometimes you walk out of your stall in the women's bathroom and there's someone standing right there they're not like lined up back there they're like lined right outside your stall ready to take your your stall and um let's see what else oh there's so many fun ones though i mean women here are so funny about inserting their opinion um into your life especially i think when i got pregnant and then when i had kids is when this really comes into play because women will stop you on the street and say you should do this differently with your baby or your belly looks this way and so you're going to have a boy or you're going to have a girl or um come and touch your belly or you know tell you your child's going to get sick because they're not wearing socks um in the 90 degree heat in the summer um <laughs> let's see what else oh there's some fun um these are ones that I tease my husband about and he um, has gotten over them in terms of he doesn't believe some of these things anymore, but it's definitely one of those like every Peruvian's grandmother will tell them these things that if you, if you um, drink cold badges when it's cold outside, you will get sick. And if you don't wear socks to bed when it's cold out, you're going to get sick. So you can't, you know, you can't eat ice cream in the winter and, oh my. you know, <laughs> Yeah, and so there's all these things, and and it was an interesting experience with my, you know, getting to know my mother-in-law over the years that we dated, and she would look at me like, I can't believe you're eating ice cream; it's freezing outside. You're gonna get sick, and you know, trying to be respectful of her and her beliefs, but also at the same time, I've been eating ice cream for 25 years of my life at this point, all through the winter in you know Minnesota, and I'm, <laughs> I've lived to tell the tale. So yeah. Um, yeah. So it's a little bit like um, grand my grandmother's mother. So it's more we've come away from some of that, but it sounds like they still have those. Mm -hmm. um, There's still wives on tales. A those classics. Yeah. Yes, yeah. but in general, I mean, their culture is so warm and welcoming, and I think that is what a lot of the mission teams really experience is just yeah. relationships, and there are so. Um, affectionate and so you know huggy and kissy and that's why the whole coronavirus thing has been really hard for everyone to not you know be around and touch each other and everything because yeah. every you know they'd love to just love on each other and that's a huge part of their culture and just be together and spend time and so well have y'all yeah. in, in just briefly talking about the virus um have y'all had pretty much the same kind of rules and regulations and advice that that we've had of the social distancing and and just um staying in in place have y'all had that too um we have but i think much more extreme than the states so we um march 15th i believe was the date 
um, president decided, you know, things were getting interesting around the world at that point. Um, they shut down the country here from one day to the next. Every single thing was closed. All the airports were closed. You couldn't travel between regions anywhere. And at that point, it was a 15-day quarantine lockdown, you know, military-enforced curfew. Nobody was allowed out for any personal reason. You could go out. You could send one adult from your family out for just supplies. So food, you could go to the bank, and you could go to um, the pharmacy, and that was it. Um, and 15 days has turned into, I think we're on day 85 now. Um, and just this last week, things have started to loosen up. And now food is being delivered for, you know, restaurants or, or some of them are open for delivery, which had not happened before. Children are allowed outside after 70 days um, of being wow. only inside. They finally decided that children could be outside for 30 minutes a day between 12 and 6 within five blocks of your house. And, you know, they have all these restrictions. You have to wear a mask, no balls, no toys, no scooters, um, all this stuff. So it's been an adventure. Um, and it's, it, is, it has been a lot more extreme here because um, our population density is just easy here in the city. And if, they, if they're not strict in locking everything down, then, then they knew it was just going to get out of control. And even with all of those measures, it has been very, very hard on the country as a whole. I mean, the healthcare system has collapsed. They're, you know, treating people in the parking lots of the hospitals or turning them away. Um, you know, people have been without work for 80 days. Um, so it's just been, on the whole, very hard. And we feel grateful and, and pretty protected from that. I mean, we've just been at home. Thankfully, we have plenty of food. And, you know, we've been healthy and um, we just feel so grateful for what we have because we, we have not, you know, been more of an inconvenience for us than anything else. And we know people who are going through such hard times with um, just not having work, not being yeah. able to support their families. And so one of the things that we've done as a ministry um, is sort of shift our focus temporarily to add in... Um, just some accommodations for for the immediate needs that are that are out there. So normally our, our ministry is all about building long-term relationships and it's about um, long-term projects that can allow our partner ministries to be um, independent and self-reliant. Um, but in times like this in state of emergency when you know the majority of the people at the church are without work, that's when we step in and say, okay, you know, let's be with some of your immediate needs and and um, it's not a dependency now. I mean, everybody, we're all relying on God now. <laughs> so, right. um, but it's been a, a cool experience to have um, two of our partner ministries. We've opened up food banks with them, our two Lima ministries. Um, so since the first week of quarantine, we've had, you know, supplies coming into those places. And then the, the local pastors distribute those to their church community and then the surrounding neighbors as well who are in, so. Wow. So you were positioned a little bit in the ministry to make that transition. Um, mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. that's good. So are you pretty much hands on with that? Or is it just the logistics of, of helping? So at this point, it's more logistics. We're actually, because of all the restrictions on lockdown, we're actually not allowed to go there at all. Yeah. Um, you're not, I mean, for the first 
maybe 70 days you were allowed to take your personal vehicle out for any reason. So if you were going out to get groceries or anything else, it was walking. Um, so we were not allowed to go to any of the ministries. So from the, the get-go, it was, you know, organizing everything via phone or internet and, you know, sending money. And then the, the local pastors were the ones that buying the food in their area and distributing. And, and the way that our ministry runs, that is how we want to do things anyway, in terms of yeah. everything goes through the local church. And those pastors are the ones who are there all the time. And they are the ones that are called to minister there. And so we trust them and their um just their wisdom over their community they know the ones who are most in need they can minister to them and um so we're there to partner with them in that but they are the hands and feet of jesus in their community um and that from the stories they've shared with us has been really awesome um just as a community for them to experience that they have they've said just the looks on people's faces when they have come in and received you know food when they have nothing and especially those first few weeks that they had no expectation for anything. And the pastor called them in and said, hey, you know, God has provided some food for you and, and for your family. And he said, it's just, just been an amazing experience and people really experiencing God's provision in a very tangible way and um, able to share that as part of their testimony too. Wow. Okay. Let's talk a little bit about the ministry. Um, mm -hmm. This year will be quite different because the international travel um, won't be happening. And then um, you guys kind of, that's when your hardest work of people coming in and getting a lot advanced um, happens. So talk to me about the ministry overall um, mm -hmm. and your role in that. And then um, what this summer looks like. Sure, so the ministry overall, so we're called Living Missions Peru. Um, and we partner with four different ministries around the country. So I mentioned there are two sort of in the outskirts of Lima. There's one in Pucallpa, which is the one that I went to my first trip, um, and that's in the Amazon jungle. And then there's another one in the outskirts of Cusco in the Andes Mountains. So those four are ministries that we've had long-term partnerships with for years, um, most of them since, you know, 2002, 2003, 2004. Um, so our sort of ministry model is building what we like to call horizontal relationships with those ministries. We are not Jesus rescuers coming in to give out handouts and to save these people. There are pastors that God has called in each of those ministries and they are on the ground, you know, ministering to people and they are called to be there and to, to reach out to their communities. And we're there to help them in every way we can. Um, to build up their ministry so that they can reach more people for God's kingdom. So we're in it for the long haul. Um, and as part of our ministry, um, we have ongoing sort of long-term projects with each of those ministries. Most of them revolve around education. Um, so just for an example, in um, the ministry in Pachacutec, which is one of our Lima ministries, we have a um, there's a Christian elementary school there that we help them start and they um, they use that elementary school as a way sort of a mission field in their community and that's how they're reaching out and they also have a soup kitchen and a community library that they run um, so we're helping them run those things in a way that you know over time it's self-sustainable so now as, that the school has been built up for several years 
they're paying all the salaries and everything themselves wow. from the tuition of the students. And so we're doing a similar thing now in um, the Refuge Hope in the jungle. Um, when I first went to that ministry, they had an elementary school for kids with disabilities and all these kids graduating and going on somewhere else to high school. But then they started seeing that the, the kids graduating who had um, special needs were really not finding any other schools that could help them and that could really engage with their needs. And so we've helped them these past few years to start a high school. And the idea is we're um, helping them by supporting the teachers at their high school teachers' salaries so that they can be building up a student body that can then pay the tuition as the school gets bigger, if that makes sense. Yes. So, you know, we started with stronger support the first year and then it tapers off every year with the expectation that they are tapering up their student population and then they're able to take it from there. Um, and then it, our, our other big educational project is a, an after-school program in Cusco and it's for kids that... Um, you know, come from families of a lot of farming communities around the area, just very, very low resource families who are below the extreme poverty line, not just the, the poverty line, but the extreme poverty line. And they, you know, most of these parents have not even completed elementary school. And so it's hard for them to, you know, be able to help their kids with homework and help them to advance in their studies. And so this after school program provides help for these kids after school, um, nutritional snacks, because a lot of them are not getting what they need at home. Um, things like that. So those ongoing projects are a big part of who we are and what we do because we believe that over time, breaking that cycle of poverty has to happen through education. And it may be a generational thing, meaning it may take a whole generation to bring a family out of poverty, but that's why we're in it for the long haul. And that's what we're trying to do. So that's kind of one big aspect of our ministry is those ongoing projects. And another big aspect, which is um, where your family comes in is the the short-term mission trips. And um, man, we've just been so blessed with so many amazing mission teams and, and youth and adults that have come down just with a heart to serve. And um, our uh, place and where we see ourselves as being a bridge for those teams that come down so that they, as short-term missionaries, can be a part of something that is ongoing and that is continuing after they leave. So we believe wholeheartedly that you you know you can't just plop yourself down somewhere do something for a week and make a lasting difference and you can also do a lot more damage than than help in a week um if you know you don't come about it the right way and so you know we're committed to being that bridge and and um what we tell our mission teams a lot is you know you may build something this week but it's not about the physical thing that you're going to build here. It's about the relationships that you're going to build. And those are the things that are going to last way longer than any, you know, brick building or any new classroom or anything that you could, um, could make. And I think it's those relationships that, that have the students and the, and the pastors and the adults that come on our teams come back year after year. Um, and it's those relationships that, we've seen changing lives on, on the Peruvian side as well. Just with you, I mean, you see some of these kids that have grown up, you know, going to VBS that the mission teams do every year and, and you go to their houses and they have a little letter that one of the mission kids wrote them when they were, you know, seven, encouraging them in their faith and they've got it stuck up on their wall. So it's just amazing um, to see just those relationships forming and, and how um, that has impacted so many lives on both ends. 
Um, yeah. We really believe That's that so. it's part of our job is is yeah, sharing Jesus and expanding his kingdom here in Peru, but it's also um, walking alongside the pastors and leaders that bring their teams down and helping them really um, dig in and help their youth and families that come down to, to strengthen their faith. Because these, the folks that come down from the States, I mean, especially the youth, this is the next generation of leaders that we have in the States. And so if this is an opportunity that they can experience Jesus in a new way and experience serving in a new way and deepen in their faith, that's something that we are, you know, honored to be a part of. And we want to make sure that they have every opportunity to do that while they're here. Yeah. Well, and I've seen it, I've seen it play out. I've, I've seen it really um, affect some hearts and, and put kids in directions. I mean, one of the things that I've always wanted to do was, and if I were involved in any kind of leadership of youth was to stretch them physically, emotionally, and spiritually. And I, I definitely think that when they've come to Living Missions Peru, I've seen that happen and I've seen some results on, on our side. Um, I know that you there are things that just tug your heart, just tear your heart. How do you protect your heart when you are seeing the extreme poverty and knowing that you can do but so much, how do, how do you protect Aaron? Oh man, that's a hard question. Um, I think part of it is you have to acknowledge from the beginning that nothing I can do personally is going to change the situation. I mean, if God allows me to be a part of what he's doing, it is out of his grace and out of his, you know, intentions that he allows me to be a part of of what he is doing here and just accepting that my role is not to be the savior. It, it, it was never intended to be that way. And, and I will plant every seed that I can. And as long as God allows me to be a part of what he's doing here, I will do that. But just recognizing from the beginning that I, I can't save them all. And I don't think any, you know, one person is intended to do that because Jesus already did that. But um, I think just recognizing that from the beginning. And then I think the other thing that I've come to realize is, you know, you do need to protect your heart. The Bible talks about protecting your heart because it's the wellspring of life. And that's absolutely true. But I think it's still okay to let it break over what you're doing and to be passionate about it. And, and man, those first few years were hard in a, in a good way because my heart was really breaking for people and for these communities and just really experiencing that brokenness and kind of just sitting with it and being with people in that. So I think it's hard, but that's, it's also a good thing. And I think that's okay to, to recognize that and to let it break a little bit, because I think that is where you can allow yourself to, um, to become passionate about helping and serving is if you, you yourself have your heart softened towards people and towards things that are happening. What would you say your leadership style is? I, I definitely um, am not a shy leader, but I am trying to be more merciful and more compassionate um, in leading and, 
I think I'm, I'm not afraid to lead, but I also have had humbling experiences over the years where I've learned that, um, that leadership needs to be done in a certain way in order to have it be effective. And so, um, you know, it's my desire to lead by example. And that's something that I try and, um, that we've tried to do with our translators as well is every mission team that I've ever been part of, I sort of take the stance of, look, if there's a piece of trash on the ground that needs to be picked up, I'm not gonna tell someone else to do that because I'm you know, supposedly the leader of the team or I'm you know, in charge of all these translators or whatever. I'm gonna pick it up because then that translator that's watching or that kid that's watching learns, oh, the piece of trash needs to be picked up, but I'm not below doing that. And I think that is, that's that's definitely a, a part of me as well and i think that's something i learned in a big family too is if you want others to follow something that you're doing you have to just do it you can't say it you can't you know you can preach about it all you want but unless you're actually doing it yourself um nobody else is going to want to do it <laughs> so yeah that's very true um yes. well you you work with so many different people i mean you're you're working with the community you're working with adults you're working with young adults you're working with kids i mean that is a an expansive array of personality skills maturity all of that so um so do you do you have any insight on what you're seeing these days in general of, of people in general of of what they're arriving to you as <laughs> oh man that is a great question um i mean we've had every every personality every background every you know every um every type and it is amazing to see how different people are and how god has created each one that's it, it is just really cool but thing I've learned over the years is um, if you decide what you think someone's going to be like and you put them in a box um, and then you discount you know some part of them or, or you think this person is a lot you know, a lot of the times that the most challenging people maybe I can illustrate it by telling a story the most challenging people that we get trips are the ones that are are in charge in their mind. They want to come down on the trip. They want to, they want to know what exactly what the schedule is for the week. They want to, you know, make decisions themselves, even though they're maybe not even the leaders on the trip. They want to know everything that's going on and why and who and this and that. Let God do his thing. Those are the people that have really been changed the most at the end of the week. I remember we had this one mom who had come along with her student on a trip years ago, and this is to the jungle. Um, and the jungle's uncomfortable for, for many. And this, you know, this woman had a, a, a very nice, comfortable home, a very nice, comfortable life. And, and she spent a week in the jungle living in bunk beds with bugs and, you know, mosquitoes and, and it's hot and it's sweaty and all these things. So I'll give her that. It, it was uncomfortable for her to get used to the life there. And she complained a lot and she was not comfortable with not being in control. But man, at the end of the week, she broke down and said, this is, you know, God really got to me this week. And he worked on my heart in ways that he's never done before, because I just had to say, okay, I don't, I'm not in control here. You have to be in control, God, and I'm just going to have to trust you. And if we would have gotten in the way of that, she wouldn't have experienced that um, during that week. And so 
you know, while you experience every style and kind and whatever, I think, you know, you do the best you can to, to treat them lovingly and treat them kindly and, 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 and then you just pray hard for their, their growth and that Jesus would do his works. Flexibility is so important. And that's on our end, but also especially on their end. Um, and one of the that's come down year after year um, shared a phrase that we use a lot, and that is, um, blessed are the flexible, for they are the least likely to be bent out of shape. And we use that, <laughs> I like that. a lot with the teens, yeah, because it's so true. And even, even our own um, planning, I mean, we spent a whole year planning a trip. And then two days before the trip happens, it could change completely. They come a day later, they come two days later, we have to change locations. Um, you know, half the team doesn't end up coming or they bring five extra people or, you know, plans change and you have to roll with it and okay with that and just know that God is doing his work and he had that plan the whole time, even if we didn't. And, you know, so often looking back on those things, you say, oh yeah, he definitely had that plan the whole time. That was what was supposed to happen. We just didn't know it. And so, I mean, it's a good lesson for life too, right? Just holding your plans loosely and <laughs> no, no oh, exactly. Change. Yeah. Well, exactly. And I mean, right now, today, none of us can figure out and plan and figure out how our skills and talents and, and God can show up in, in this pandemic. But, mm-hmm. you know, if we just hold our breath and go and, and go in mm-hmm. faith, I, I think that's where practicing faith muscles come in handy. Mm-hmm. Um, so tell me what your stress release is. What do you do? How do you stay healthy and rested? And what's your stress release? Um, so I think in general... Um, there's sort of a pre COVID and then there's like what I'm able to do now. Um, in general, it's probably just being outside, um, exercise or playing sports, um, catching up with a friend. Um, if it's inside the house, oftentimes that'll be once the kids go to bed, um, doing some sort of cleaning or organizing something that's been hanging over my head or oftentimes cooking or baking something like that just gets my mind off whatever it is and puts it into something that is um, productive and sort of has a short-term lifespan. Like I can, you know, whip out a batch of cookies and it's like, okay, I accomplished something today. Yeah. <laughs> or, you know, clean that part of the pantry that's been annoying me and, you know, now it looks great and it makes me happy every time I see it kind of thing. So I think those, those last few have been more my go-tos lately because we haven't been out of the house. Um, as much so thankfully we're able to go out now for limited times but um yeah yeah. well talk to me a little bit about parenting all right you you started your peruvian life um as a single then Mm -hmm. you got married and now you have two children so having children in a ministry they either come alongside and minister with you or Mm -hmm. they or you get taken out so how do y'all function with two little ones and, and it's six and how old is the youngest? He's two. Mm-hmm. Two. So, mm-hmm. I mean, that's, that's quite a bit, but then it could open other doors for you. So, so what's being a mom like and being in the ministry? So after our daughter was born, um, so that was six years ago, our roles sort of shifted Pepe's and mine um and 
you know, leading up to having kids, we were both on with teams all the time. So when we'd have spring break teams or summer teams, we were both there. If we happened to have two teams at the same time, we'd split up and each take one. Um, and then, you know, we did all the admin work as well. And then sort of towards the end of, I think when I was pregnant and maybe a year or two before that, um, there was a lot more paperwork and everything to do here. There was a lot more administrative stuff than we'd ever had before. And so um, Pepe was taking more of an role of that and I was going a little more hand with the teams and he was a little bit more of the office stuff. So when our daughter was born, sort of those flipped back and I started staying home a little bit more. He would go out with the teams a little bit more. And um, when teams come through Lima, you know, I try and take the kid and be a part of those, mostly because, the, you know, those long-term relationships we've been developing with those teams for years and years, and we just love seeing them. Yeah. So we try and spend time, you know, any off day they have in Lima or the day that they travel back to the States, try and go and see them. And um, we've still tried to do that as well. But being on site with the kids, that's been a little bit trickier, um, especially the, the trips that are outside of Lima in places that are harder to get to. Um, so when our daughter was, I think, 10 or 11 months, um, I went along on one of the mission trips to Cusco, which is up in the mountains. And it was, you know, a week, eight days, something like that. Um, and during the day, it was great. We could sort of tag. She could, she could observe and, you know, do her thing. But it was hard having her along for certain aspects because, you know, she doesn't sleep well at night. And then she's making noise and we're working, keeping up the mission team and not letting them sleep. And they're, you know, all exhausted anyway. And then, you know, my husband being the, um, you know, the loving and protective father that he is, he, if she's there, he's worried about her. And so that's worried about the team and all the logistics and the church and is everybody connecting well and his daughter. So is she safe and is she okay? Is everything going on? So we kind of figured out very early on that, in order for him to be able to minister to full capacity there with the teams, it was just easier for me to, to man things from home with the kids. Um, that allowed him to be fully present there and not worry about her and eventually our son as well. Um, and I think that it took some adjustment on my part just because I was so used to being an active part of it. And you know, I felt like I was missing out. And um, in the beginning that was hard, but I think as those roles have adjusted, and especially as having two has been busier than having one, um, I think it's it's sort of coming to a good balance. Um, and we try and be a part of it as much as we can. And um, thankfully, with Centerpoint, the, the ministry that we go to is actually one, we stay at a retreat center that's actually really easy to go to with kids. Um, they have a lot of space. It's a safe place. Um, there's kind of, they have animals there. There's stuff to do during the day. And so that's, been a blessing for us to actually go with those teams um, so I'll take the kids on those trips and we just don't go on site because it's a long day of ministry oh, yeah. to go out and you know you're on the bus and and you don't really have a whole lot of control over where you're going or what you're doing so it's it's hard with the kids when they're so young but um we'll go to the retreat center and stay with the team so we're seeing them in the mornings and the afternoons and then during the day, we sort of do our own thing and, and, you know, I take care of all the admin stuff that needs to happen. So that has been a gift that um, for the most part, we're at home, but we do get those few teams a year that we get to be a part of. And I think that's sort of what keeps me going is 
you know, I have that to look forward to. And, and you know, obviously we still have contact with um, all teams throughout the year. And, you know, I get to be a part of that as well. So I think it's, it's definitely been an adjustment with the two. But um, as they get older and are able to understand more and be a part of more, um, that's been really fun. So our daughter this um, past few years was able to um, help out with more teams than she was in the past. And um, she kind of had a rough track record towards the beginning. We had taken her along with the intention of her going, you know, to VBS and everything with the kids. And then one year she split her chin open and got stitches so she couldn't go. And then the next year the team, I think, brought norovirus and she got it. And so we had to go home early. So we had, right. yeah, so she was delayed a few years. Yeah. <laughs> and, and when she was, um, able to go and really get to know the ministries, but it has been fun for, for her also to, to experience that and just to go be one of the kids there and run around with her, you know, her little friends there. And, um, that's been a fun new thing for her. Being a parent takes on a whole different personality and, and, and not being, you know, right there with your own family, but you're, you're in the midst of, of others. And we had talked a little bit about community and you said you you mm-hmm. were going to come back to that a little bit. So in parenting, did you find community difficult? Did you, did you just slide right into motherhood and, um, just superwoman with motherhood or, or have you had, <laughs> I wouldn't some, call it that. Str- but, um, <laughs> have you had some things you've had to kind of work through and, and would, would be helpful to somebody else? No. I think, um, you know, we've talked a lot with my girlfriends here about just, it does take a village. And, and a lot of times, you know, people here, a lot of people here are blessed to have their family be that village. And um, a lot of us that are, imports got yeah. from other places are you know we create our own village and so I've just been really grateful for this group of girls that's it's mostly American girls um, there's a Canadian in there as well and um, most of them are married to Peruvian guys um, so it's just worked out to be this nice little community that we all sort of just get each other um, and we all had kids around the same time and then all had a second one around the same time and um, one of the the British girls actually, I believe, named it the Baby Club. So that's what we've kind of just called it the Baby Club now. But um, that has just been a huge blessing. They're all Christian girls, and just, um, you know we have different jobs and and things like that. But um, some of the other ones are missionaries. But in terms of creating community and creating family, that that has been that for me. And, you know, just people I know we can get together and all all of our families can have a great time together. And if I need something, they're there for that. Or if I have a question about something. And um, that's just been a a huge gift to have. Um, Because it is hard having your own family physically far away, you know. And with um, communication, what it is now, it's it's great. Like I said, I've been able to keep in touch with my mom and and my siblings and, and extended family as well. But um, just having people here to be with and to rely on um, just has been huge. And I, I think um, the back to the sort of cultural differences, I mean, cultural differences come out in your marriage, but they definitely come out when you start having kids. Um, and that's been interesting to see that play out. And I think um, that's one of the reasons maybe why I've gravitated towards this Christian group of, of American girls is they sort of do 
things more in, in line with what I would hope to do. Um, they have similar values. You know, they're all, um, you know, Christ is there first and foremost. Um, and we do have Christian Peruvian friends, but because of all the cultural differences that also play in, there are just some different values and some different priorities in there. Um, and so those are like sort of what the, can you think of something like, like what can you think of? An um, example? So, I mean, in our family, it's important to put the kids to bed early and there are a lot of things involved in that. It's, it's better for their health. You know, it allows us to have time together as a couple after they're asleep. It allows me to get work done and get things done around the house, all of those things. And, you know, Peruvians will have their kids out, you know, in the park till nine or like you'll see them, you know, if we ever go out for a date night late, there's like families with kids out at like 10 o'clock, you know, having dinner. And not to say that maybe that's just one night out that they took with their kids, but it's much more common here. Um, sort of the kids rule the show. And the, oh, you know, my kids to bed at 1030 because they don't want to go to bed earlier. And I say, well, <laughs> I didn't give mine the choice. That's, you know, it's not their choice of when they go to bed. And so just little things like that where, you know, this whole group of girls, they're all sort of in the same mindset of this is how you do it for the health of the whole family. Everybody needs sleep and mom and dad need time. And, you know, you guys need to go to bed. Um, so that's um, maybe one example. And then just, you know, other things that are sort of personal choice things like how much TV do you let your kid watch? I have, you know, very different opinions than maybe the average Peruvian who would plop their kid down and be fine if they watched hours and hours upon end. And, you know, I want to do that. So things like that. Yeah. Um, well, I think uh, one, go, ahead. go ahead. I was going to say one of our funniest examples is probably in the topic of sleep again is that just sleep training. Um, I mean, when we, when our daughter was a couple months old, I remember bringing it up with Pepe and he said, well, what's that? you know, explain and explain why you do this. And, and he just said, that sounds awful. Like, I don't want to do that. And they said, well, how do you expect her to learn how to sleep? You know, and I showed him some stuff that I'd read and we talked to my mom. I mean, my parents sleep trained all of us. And, um, and they said, that's just what you do. And it's miserable for a little while, but then everybody sleeps and that is, you know, what's most important in the end. And so Pepe at first was like, I don't know. I mean, I just don't know if I can listen to them cry at all. I don't want them to cry. I don't want them, you know, this, it's going to be so hard. And then, you know, with our first, we got through it and it worked like a charm. And so now he's like talking to his Peruvian friends about it. I'm like, oh, well, you should sleep train and you should do this. And it totally works. And I'm like, I have converted you. There you have. Yeah. Cause in the beginning he said, well, none of my friends do this and their children all sleep. And I said, ask them what time their children go to sleep and how many hours it takes them to put them down every night. Cause I yeah. had personally experienced one of our Peruvian friends bedtime routines, which was like an hour and a half. Oh. And I said, you know what, if you want to do that every night, you are totally welcome, but I'm not going to do that every night for our kids an hour and a half of you know the whole thing um so anyways those are some big discussions and, and definite cultural differences but when it came to it um you know we talked about it and and made the decision went with it and and now now he's a leaver there you go well it sounds like you're intentional um you're intentional in in the parenting and making the choices and intentional about having couple time um, intentional about the marriage. So 
and and the the ministry so it just sounds like that's a thread that that goes through intentional but yet at the same time god having the ability to alter those plans and intentions um what would you consider to be maybe one of the biggest successes that that you guys have have had to date and then maybe one of the biggest flops that you've had hmm. do you mean us as a family or us as a either or ministry either or hmm. um i think in the ministry one of the big successes that comes to mind um is um sort of back to our ministry model how we desire to do things in the horizontal way meaning it's not a church coming in and you know reaching down to rescue this church and have the church reaching up and receiving everything that they're giving and depending on them we want a horizontal relationship where the churches understand that all of us need god and all of us are dependent on him and together building relationships together we can encourage each other and we can work towards um, strengthening our faith and and you know working together we can build our communities and bring them closer to christ so that's something that we've tried to create in our ministry over all of these years and in the recent years what we've seen that's been so exciting is the four local churches where we are ministering have started doing that as well so they have started reaching out to other communities and building a long-term relationship with another church where they go and do missions and they're you know visiting that same church over and over again and and even just seeing some of their mentalities shift because in the beginning you know one of the churches we work with was visiting a bunch of different communities and they'd go once and they'd you know do something cool with them and then they'd maybe not go back or maybe a time or two go back and then move on somewhere else and in conversations with them and in seeing what our relationship as a ministry was developing with them and all of these visiting teams coming back they were starting to sort of realize oh the you know the relationships are valuable putting in roots in a place and developing just with that one ministry is so valuable because you can really go so much deeper and so you know they just seeing them change that mentality and decide we as a church we're going to adopt this one church and we're going to put our, our resources and our time there and we're going to visit them regularly and we're going to pour into them um the the church that center point works with um pastor marta is just this amazing wonderful woman from argentina and she um, was called to work here in peru and they minister in a junk village called pangoa out in the middle of the amazon um, and they are just devoted to this community and it is just so amazing to see so they go on regular mission trips there and through these past few years of them visiting this little community who had never heard of jesus like they had never heard they'd never had missions there at all it's just this isolated community they have built a church where they now worship that was the first church they'd ever had in their community they had their very first wow. christian marriage there and they asked Pastor Marta to do it, which was awesome. I mean, they've had believers come to accept Christ and they, as a village, have decided that they want to reach out to the village next to theirs because they say, you know, if anyone can reach them, it's us. We know them, they know us. And so that to us is, is you know, the ultimate success, I guess, is seeing 
just that chain effect of, you know, we're doing our best to, to pour into these relationships and we see them turn around and say, man, God has filled us up with so much that we want to go and pass that along again and, and do the same thing. So seeing that replicating. That's fantastic. Mm -hmm. Um, It's kind of proof of the model. Mm -hmm. So that, that feels good. I'm sure. All right. What about your, your biggest oops or bust or flop? Um, well, in terms of ministry, I don't think it affected the ministry as much as we personally maybe took it, took it as a personal fail. It was what that meant, the mission trip that I mentioned that I took Taya on and, um, man, it was just such a hard week. Pepe doesn't do well being woken up multiple times in the middle of the night anyway. And Taya was just at a tough time. Like, I think she just wasn't sleeping because of the altitude. So she was up a lot. He was up a lot. He's not sleeping. So you know, at the end of the week, we just said, I'm just going to go home. (laughs) So I actually ended up going home a day early with her because we're like, you know, you have another day left. You could get some sleep and (laughs) at least in the last day with the team and and whatever. So I think that was, um, that was a hard one to just realize, okay, well, um, sometimes this might work out and sometimes it might not. And that's okay. Just, I think that was more, for me of saying like maybe I shouldn't be pushing this so much to try and make it work at this point in our lives because you know in a few years from now it might be more natural and and it would totally flow and when the kids are older it works and and just right now or in this location or whatever it was it just was not the right time (laughs) (laughs) those are tough lessons Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. um all right let's uh, we've, we've been going down a whole lot of roads and I, I love it and, and could go on a lot longer, but, um, <laughs> but I do have one, uh, a question I, that I do want to address and that's, um, advice for young girls. I mean, you, you have gone to a foreign country, you've, you've gone on missions, so you're obeying God, you, you're submitting yourself into whatever God's paths are for you. You meet mm-hmm. a gorgeous guy who is <laughs> Peruvian and so, you know, that to young teenagers that are going on these mission trips is a pretty romantic story. So what, <laughs> well, what dating you... for the record, dating is not allowed on mission trips. <laughs> there you go. There you go. <laughs> it's not. Um, so what kind of advice would you, would you give toward um, a young girl um, who's just kind of facing their dreams, their hopes, and, and just setting up their lives? Oh man, that's a hard one. Yeah, it's kind of loaded. Yeah. You know, um, I just think preparing yourself in the best way that you can with the passions that you know God has given you, follow those as sort of a beginning path. You know, you can tell, you can tell what you're passionate about. And as, as, as you get older, um, oftentimes that comes in the form of recognizing where it is that your heart breaks. And that's kind of where I was going with that answer earlier is, is um, I'd heard someone say once where your greatest passion meets the world's greatest need is where you're supposed to be. So letting your passion sort of start to dictate your path, but then keeping an 
open mind and keeping your hands open to what God might have you do with those skills that you're building. So in my case, for example, you know, I went through high school, got good grades, you know, I had a, a pretty good, you know, resume or whatever you want to call it at that point. Um, I got into a school that I loved and I had no idea what I wanted to study. Um, I ended up studying human biology, which was great. Um, but I never, I never had being a biologist or whatever you would be with that in mind. Um, and I knew I did not want to be a doctor at that point. So it was kind of one of those things I feel like God's calling me to do this and prepare this for right now, but I have no idea what he's going to do with it. And then after I graduated, um, that year after college, I was sort of looking at maybe physical therapy stuff because that was interesting to me. And um, a friend of mine asked me, hey, do you want to come sub at this school with me, you know, a couple of times a week or whatever, just to make some money while you're figuring things out? So I said, sure. And I fell into this job where they figured out pretty quickly that I spoke Spanish and that I was spending time in Peru. So they said, well, you know, our Spanish teacher's going to be gone for a week. Why don't you come sub for her for that week? And I just fell in love with that job. And, and then there was a position open at that school. Long story short, I became a Spanish teacher with a degree in human biology. Um, so I taught California for those years. And then God calls me as a missionary to come down here and work with mostly high school teams. And so I'm looking back at this experience going, okay, I had no idea what I was going to do. But that whole time God was preparing me even unbeknownst to me for what I was going to be doing, working with students, being, I mean, to be a teacher, you'd be super organized, right? And doing logistics for these teams is, is a lot of the same to be just being super organized, having everything together, having every outcome that could possibly happen planned for. Um, and so there was a lot of overlap there. And then human biology actually, oddly enough, comes in very handy when you're out in the jungle and, and someone gets sick or you're at altitude. You need to know which altitude sickness with only the things that you have with you. Um, so human biology is, is a great tool for life in general. But um, yeah, I think just trusting the passions that God has put inside you and trying to develop those the best you can. You know, if you, if you love kids, go work with kids. Do volunteer somewhere. If you love a language, go learn that language. Volunteer somewhere, learn the language. Go study somewhere. If, you know, if you love working with older people, do that. If you're interested in medicine, go intern somewhere and get exposed to that. Follow those things, but also be prepared for God to take that and then flip it in a direction that maybe you hadn't expected. Because if you're open to that, man, the ride you can get in the end can be so much more and then what you've ever put together yourself. I mean, I, I don't think I ever would have envisioned what God had planned for me. And, you know, even further down the road here, I continue to be surprised. Um, there were several years ago before we had kids. Um, I just remember thinking in the off season, like when we don't have teams, when it's more of the administrative stuff, I kind of just kept saying, okay, God, like I need something else right now to, to do in the off season because I can manage all the admin stuff, but I need something else. And so some friends in my Bible study and I were just praying like, God, you, you know, give me something else to do. And not once, but twice, these two different jobs sort of just fell into my lap. Like the timing was perfect, just the amount I needed to get through 
like the year until the next mission team started. Um, one of them was um, translating at a Japanese engineering firm, not in Japanese, um, oh, <laughs> between English and like, Spanish. <laughs> yeah, I don't know, between English and Spanish, but it was, it was basically, you know, running the logistics for this project, figuring out how to coordinate all the translators together. I mean, it was logistics married with translating, which was perfect for me. Yeah, which is what and you then, did. Yeah. And then the other time, fun enough, was a, a, a teacher um, going on maternity leave that teaches biology, chemistry, and math. And so I ended up teaching at high school biology and math. And that was actually the first time that I, in my professional career, used human biology. So I was like, okay, God, I guess, you know, you had it in there for something. Yeah. So, yeah. Well, that's great. Go. So, yeah, you never know what's going to happen plus those those opportunities open uh community avenues for you and so exactly. you, you grow that in ways that you couldn't well um we've gone down all kinds of paths and it's been fantastic um i have one question for you and that would be if you were given a superpower for 24 hours <laughs> could be anything and you can use it personally professionally what would it be and how would you use it and why oh man these are such good questions um i think at this point it might be being able to fly places as in anywhere because um right now it just seems like um i mean right now like it right in the middle of coronavirus and all of this stuff seems like people are very connected and and just the ability to not see family and the ability to not get um, supplies to where they're needed um, is is just really hard right now and seeing that develop. So I think I would use that in all of those ways personally, <laughs> um, you know, see my family and go um, just visit them or whatever that looks like. And then professionally, I think just helping deliver supplies to places that need them and, um, yeah, I think it'd just be fun too. <laughs> I could see that being fun. Well, what about contact information? If someone wanted to get in in touch with Living Missions Peru, how would mm -hmm. they get in, or or just you, Erin, how would they get in touch? Sure. The best way is probably um, through email or our website. Um, the website is just Living Missions Peru, uh, all together. Um, dot org and um, you can actually send an email through the website but our email is also super easy it's living missions peru at gmail.com um, and that's the one we check most often so that's probably the okay. best and are you on social media so we do have a facebook for our ministry um, we are not the best at posting during the year um, that's something that typically our summer interns run and update um, but uh, Pepe says we're we're out of touch with social media <laughs> we need to get better about that but yeah you can definitely send a Facebook message to that too but email is probably the the most certain okay thank you Erin it's been great and I appreciate it so very much Oh, thank you. I'm just so honored that you guys would reach out like this. And um, man, I looked at the the list of the other ladies on your podcast and I was like, oh, I don't know. I feel very humbled to be considered in this, oh, you're in this great. mighty group. You're yeah. great. It, I, we have had fantastic guests and it's been my privilege to 
have a front row seat. So, but thanks. That's awesome. Well, give Becca a big hug for us too. I will. To the beat of my own drum I got my pockets full of dreams And they're busting at the seams Going boom, boom, boom Find Stacked Keys Podcast on Spotify, SoundCloud, and iTunes or anywhere you get your favorite podcast listen. You'll laugh out loud, you'll cry a little, you'll find yourself encouraged. Join us for casual conversation that leads itself based on where we take it from family to philosophy to work to meal prep to beautifully surviving life. And hey, if I could ask a big favor of you, go to iTunes and give us a five rating. The more people who rate us, the more we get this podcast out there. Thanks. I appreciate it.